Oh my goodness. One thing about the real estate industry, I would remove all the misconceptions of all landlords are slumlords and all tenants destroy properties. Kelly Iannone's dream of financial independence seemed impossible after working her way up the corporate ladder at Disney. That is until she discovered the power of passive real estate investments. Little did she know that this would become the catalyst for a life-changing journey that would lead to financial stability, even amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss how to take charge of your financial future by unlocking the secrets to financial freedom through savvy real estate investments. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask. This podcast, our books, online courses, and newsletter all focus on awakening your money mindset. Our mission is to normalize conversations around personal finance so we can better understand why we do what we do when it comes to money. If you would like to learn more, all the information is in our show notes. Bring a little money mindfulness to your life. Follow me on Instagram at Money You Should Ask. So let's jump right into my chat with Kelly Iannone. Kelly, so great to have you on the show. I'm so excited. I know we met at PodFest and apparently we were both at FinCon together, but I'll catch you in New Orleans. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a fantastic day. And you're based in Orlando. You used to work for Disney. So you left the happiest place on earth. What happened? You know, when you reach the top, there's nowhere else to go but down. So I might as well just leave. (laughs) After 18 years, even the happiest place, you know, life evolves. (laughs) Life evolves and we find new happies. So now you're into real estate. Did working at Disney prepare you for life after Disney? I think one of the great things about Disney and working for that company, and I worked in a professional capacity, so I worked behind the scenes and spent time in business strategy, finance and integration type roles, is you do things the best way possible. There is no capacity to do things halfway. So that is something that I then bring to life after Disney and kind of the real estate work that I'm doing. And when I interact with other individuals or when I'm doing anything personally for my household, you bring that to it that you go 100% on anything you do and you're going to do it the best you can. And you're going to do it in a very nice manner as well. (laughs) They like to call Disney nice. So I love that. And what was the impetus that parlayed you into real estate? I mean, is it a natural transition or like I'm not following the dots, so connect them for me. I can totally understand why you're not following the dots. It is not a normal path to go work at Disney and then turn into a real estate entrepreneur. So for myself and my husband's certainly part of this journey, we were certainly on this typical path of climbing the corporate ladder. And like I said, I was with Disney for 18 years. But about halfway through that period of time, I realized that one, it wasn't super fulfilling for me to chase somebody else's dream. But also during my time, I survived three rounds of layoffs or furloughs and had this epiphany that we were really financially dependent on the company. And the company was financially dependent on people having disposable income to spend on luxuries and fun stuff as opposed to necessities. And so that's where the pivot into what ultimately ended up being real estate about halfway through my corporate career when we started figuring out how can we become financially independent. Real estate is what kind of came to the surface and was our answer to that. Now, I know you're a big believer in the FIRE movement. 
Absolutely. Was that part of the impetus as well of saying, how do I get financially independent and retire early quickly? Yes. I discovered the FIRE movement before I discovered real estate. And before real estate became a very achievable thing for me, it was how do we achieve financial independence earlier? And there's really a couple different methods. There's diehard low-fee index funds, and that's certainly where all of our 401k funds are at and anything that's in the stock market. But then there was this other side that I realized in real estate and specifically commercial real estate is that I could have a lot more control over the valuation and the cash flow of the assets and my investments. And so that's where real estate came in as a path that really could accelerate our path to financial freedom with the same amount of capital that we had. So my husband and I, we went on this journey that we brought in two incomes, but we only lived on one. And that other income, the second income, went into investments. You know, I think that's such a great strategy. And I know couples that do this. So listen up, people. If you've got two incomes in a single household, live off of one and use the rest to invest. Yes. And people will say it's hard. It's not achievable. But look, I live in Orlando. I don't live in the middle of nowhere with really low cost of housing. It is a very intentional choice that's made and it didn't happen overnight. We had a very systematic approach to it. It took a year or two to get to a point where we could live on one impact. And then it was curbing what I like to call lifestyle inflation for any future merit increases, raises or promotions or bonuses we got. We just continue to save and invest that income as opposed to increasing our lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it's so hard for a lot of people to resist that temptation. It's like, oh, I got this bonus and I was real. No, put it aside. One of the phrases that you used is that you're an avid collector of cash. Yes. And I love that. We should all be avid collectors of cash. (laughs) And if that's the focus, it makes it easier to align with your values. And the other piece that you just said a minute ago, which is one of my favorite words, is intentional. Some of us think that, oh, if I just go through life, it'll all just happen. Actually, if we get really intentional, And we then make choices that keep aligning with our values and what we say we want. We're probably going to get there a lot quicker than distracted by a new car. Oh, look, a a pony. No, no. Avid collector of cash. Let's focus on building wealth. Be intentional. Whatever that choice is. That's absolutely correct, Bob. So being an avid collector of cash is not just for the sake of collecting cash and having a whole pile of it and like, I don't know. Oh, man, I should know this being from Disney, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Is that right? Scrooge McDuck, okay, who swims in his safe of money. It's not about that. That's not what being an avid collector of cash is. Being an avid collector of cash is the intentionality of then putting that money to work for you so that one day you don't have to continue to work for money. So it's giving that money a job. Yeah. And so that's what the focus was really was collecting that cash, turning that what was active income into then passive income by investing it in cash flowing assets. That's awesome. And I was just thinking, we all like to get a head start. So we want to give our money a head start so we can get ahead of us. And then we all win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of the other things that you talked about a time where you bought a house and then you really couldn't afford it. And part of the mindset was, I deserve this. And Mm -hmm. that's a mantra that a lot of us hear and say, I worked really hard today. I deserve this. Tell me a little bit about this mindset and how it maybe tricked you into doing something that maybe wasn't in your best service. 
So I've shared that I was very fortunate to grow up in a household that we talked about money. I had some good basic financial literacy when I left the household and when I graduated college. But when I got my first full-time job, I very much felt like I deserved to have this new home. And I very much bought a home that I technically couldn't afford. And part of that, what we miss in like growing up or the conversations of society and our societal norms and kind of what we're told is that we miss the point that what we left as a high schooler, if we grew up in a family that was comfortable, was that you don't just walk right into being comfortable. Right. You have to work for it, just like your parents had to work for it. And we miss that connection point. So when I graduated college, and mind you, I was the first person in my immediate family to graduate with a bachelor's degree. So I already got that check mark. I missed the connection point that, guess what? My parents lived in a much smaller house. They lived on a lot less. They didn't live on a lake. Like I remember when they first got together and spent years doing that. And so that's a connection point that I think we need to help normalize for our children as they grow up that you don't walk away from your parents' house and the comforts of that into the same comforts in your own house. Right. There's a little bit of a dip. (laughs) There's a dip there. And I think, and granted, this was back in 2004 when I bought this house. So we were just getting ready to really go into what would become the financial crisis, the housing crisis, which was really led by subprime mortgages and stuff. And I bought a property that one, I couldn't afford. But the reason why I was able to quote unquote afford it was because I bought it on 100% financing, Mm. 80-20 loan. So I had two loans. So 100% of the property was leveraged, interest only for the first five or 10 years for both of those mortgages. I had was building no equity in this property. Now I could live in this nice 1600 square foot home that was 10, 15 years old, you know, at the age of 22. I didn't deserve it. I didn't need it. But because of the way the systems were set up at that point in time, I could make it happen. Now, fortunately, I still own that home. It's a rental home. It's been refinanced into a 30-year fixed rate. It's got good equity. I was not going to let it beat me, but I should never have had that property. Yeah. Well, I love that you still have the property because a lot of people don't. And maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you could think back to that mindset that said, I deserve this. Do you remember the things around it? Because I know a lot of people will resonate with this. I deserve this. I deserve. And is it well, I've worked hard or my parents worked hard or I've paid my dues or I shouldn't have to pay my dues or I'm just a good person. Like, what was it for you, those little nuggets of voices going, you deserve it because... I think some of those voices were because that is what you see of what made it looks like. I grew up in a small town in Michigan. My parents were factory workers I wanted to be a corporate executive. Mind you, my parents wear uniforms. I wanted to wear a suit to work every day. I wanted to have this image. And so owning this house was having that image. Yeah. I think for me, that was it. And that was what society told me based on what I saw in the media. That is what it meant to be successful at that point in time. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that, I'm wondering, it doesn't totally feel like ego, right? I mean, maybe it is on a certain level, It's that fine line because it's not like I, you know, but it's because society is sort of saying, if you want a good marker and an indicator that you've made it, you need to do this, right? Yeah, I don't know that ego's right thing because it wasn't like everything in my life was I bought a brand new car and I bought this and I bought that. That wasn't it. But this house in particular, like I still drove my older vehicles that I paid for in cash, you know, like I'm still very thoughtful in those things, but I bought this house I couldn't afford. Right. But the system that we had at that point in time allowed me to afford it. 
not in a smart way. And encouraged you to afford it. It encouraged it. Like it was criminal not to. You're never going to lose money in real estate. You need to buy asset. It's the American dream. It's 90% of millionaires in this company are built through real estate, which I do believe. And it has built me as a millionaire in real estate, but not in that way. Not because I bought a house like that. That was not strong fundamentals. The other thing you bring up being a millionaire, people can say, Bob, you're a millionaire. You've got these properties. You're a millionaire. Well, that doesn't mean I have liquid cash of a million dollars that I can spend on a daily basis, right? I think sometimes, again, I'm talking about gaps. There's this gap in believing that if I have a million dollars, then I have a million dollars of disposable income every single day of my life. But if I spend a million dollars every single day of my life in about three days, (laughs) you're broke. I'm out of money. (laughs) Yeah. What is your thought about that? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think wealth versus rich are two different things. And this is, I've got a seven and eight year old. So I'm always talking to my kids about money and we'll drive around the neighborhood and these big houses, mansions have all these Christmas decorations. They they must be rich. And then we'll go into a conversation about, well, you don't know what they're choosing to spend their money on. And having a million dollar net worth, to your point, it should be locked up in assets. Right. Where you can't really reach it very easily. You need to have an emergency fund, but by and large, it should all be locked up in assets. And so you can't, go live a bougie life and spend all this money every day and last very long at all. You're going to be broke and living paycheck to paycheck just like the next guy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's still work involved. You still got to maintain, right? Totally. You don't just get to go, oh, the money showed up, so now I don't have to do any work. No, that means you got to do more work. Yeah, and even I talk about real estate a lot. I own properties that are in our personal portfolio, then I own large apartment complexes as part of our syndication model. I have property managers on our smaller ones, but I still get calls sometimes and I still get emails and I still have work I have to do for those projects sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, talking about mindset and talking about wealth and real estate being a platform and most millionaires have real estate, multifamily homes, those are awesome. I live in LA. I'm always encouraging my folks in entertainment to buy a property where somebody else is paying their mortgage, right? Skip the McMansion and get a duplex or a triplex. But I live in LA. So if I buy a triplex, I'm spending 2 million bucks and then I got to buy another one for 2 million bucks. It's going to take me a long time. But you have other ways that people can invest in multi-unit properties. You mentioned syndication. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, happy to. So I own a real estate investment firm. And what our focus is, is that we help people passively invest in real estate through apartment syndications. So it's basically like flipping a house, except for we're flipping apartment complexes. And what's so powerful about apartment complex is that it's commercial real estate. So we can control. And I talked earlier about wanting more control of my investments. Real estate allows me to do that, especially commercial, because I control the net operating income, which is what drives the value of a particular property. I'm based here in Florida. And yes, you can find some properties in Florida. They don't cash flow great, but you can. I have a lot of investors who are on the West Coast or other high income, high cost of living areas. And they'll invest alongside me in some of these deals and get great returns on their assets without putting any work in. We do all the hard work on them. And so there are great ways that even if you live in a place like Los Angeles or the San Francisco Bay Area, there's great ways to still be able to invest in real estate, even if it's not in your backyard. Okay. Then I've got two questions, Kelly. I only have 50,000 bucks. I only have 75,000 bucks and you probably have to have a half a million to get started. So I'm out. That's a big misconception with real estate. You don't have to be a millionaire to invest in real estate. Most of our deals, the minimum investment is $50,000. Okay. 
Some of them are 100, but most of them are $50,000. And that's what we see a lot of our investors come in and they'll start to invest with 50,000. And then over the course of the hold period, which is typically four to five years, we double that money and they invest again. And how my husband and I, this was the path that we went on to achieve the level of financial independence that we've achieved is that every year we put additional money into different deals. And as those deals went through the hold period, we saw the residual cash flow and we saw the equity building. And real estate's not a get rich quick scheme. Really, no investments are a get rich quick scheme. They shouldn't be. It's a build wealth over time. And so you just got to get started $50,000 at a time. And at some point that grows bigger and just keeps making an impact as it snowballs over time. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point. And I think it's so important, people listening, when somebody tells you they can make you a lot of money quick, run for the hills. There is no quick making money. Very rare. Yes. Yes. Occasionally there's an exception to the rule. But if you follow patterns and systems and all those things over time, you've got to be willing to put the money away and then not expect it to return two days later. I like to think of investments should be boring. It shouldn't be exciting. Yeah. Put the money in and it should be super boring and just let it do its thing. Put the money to work. And I think that's part of it. I think we don't think boring is sexy. Boring needs to be sexy. Like, oh, it's just making money. All right. Well, that's sexy versus it's not making sparkles and fireworks and it's dancing to the groove. It's just being boring. It's just doing the work. It's pretty sexy when you hear about all the layoffs that are happening around you and you sit back and you go, hmm, what if I get laid off? Oh, well, you know, COVID was a great example for so many people, hopefully a wake up call. It was also a great example for my husband and I. He was furloughed for 14 months during that period. Wow. And because we had already put the systems in place and we had already started making these investments several years ago, it really wasn't a financial burden for us. We were able to focus on the kids who were being schooled at home and we were able to just get through that period of time. And that is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about sharing the opportunities to passively invest and grow wealth and focusing on those fundamentals of the FIRE community. It's because I have experienced it firsthand and I know how powerful it is. It's amazing stuff. And again, it's back to being intentional. It's back to making choices that are conscious and in alignment with what you say you want further down the road, as opposed to, gosh, I hope it happens when I, well, you know, oh, look over here, right? We get caught up. So I want to go back to the investing piece again, because now I'm going to be one of those naysayers. Well, I'm not an accredited investor. I can't get a letter saying I have a net worth of a million dollars besides my principal home. I don't have income at a certain level. Again, I'm out. No, you're not. No? <laughs> no, you're not. So, okay, so as syndications, we have to adhere to the U.S. Security and Exchange Commissions. There was a change in their regulations back in 2013, I believe it was, that allowed non-accredited investors who met certain requirements to be qualified as what we call sophisticated investors, which means you have a pre-existing relationship with the operator. So if somebody was looking to invest in one of my deals, they would have to have a pre-existing relationship with me. So we'd start through phone call conversations. We talk about your financial background. We talk about your investing goals, making sure you don't want to just get rich quick because I'm not the right person to help you with that if that's what you want. And so once we've built those established, you can invest in these same deals that accredited investors are also investing in. Not all of them are open to non-accredited investors, but we do have a couple a year that will be open to non-accredited, sophisticated investors. The key is that we have pre-existing relationships before 
offering any opportunities to invest. So it's communication. If you see something, you need to have these conversations with people. Don't be scared. Don't get pressured in. But you have to start having conversations with the people that are doing these deals so that you meet the requirements in order to invest as a non-accredited investor. Yeah. And I think just what you said, ask questions, speak to people, because here's the thing. A lot of people take themselves out of the game before the game's even started. And they're basing those decisions to quit the game before they even actually have the facts or they're based on incorrect assumptions. And that happens so often. Oh, if I had only known, if I had only known. Oh, well, if you had only asked. Yeah, that's so important. I see my role so much is also an educator and a thought partner. I had a call yesterday with a prospective investor. And by the time we got halfway through the call, I let him know that I'm not comfortable with him investing with me because he wasn't in a financial position yet. He wanted to. He had the drive. He knew somebody else that was investing with one of my business partners. He wanted to. I wasn't comfortable with his financial position and where he was going to get capital in order to invest in these deals. And so part of my responsibility is to have that very open conversation that I wouldn't be comfortable taking his money in one of these deals for where he was. But let's get him to that point. Let's have those conversations. Yeah. And so that's the other piece right there is integrity. You want to work with people that have some integrity because not every deal is the right deal. And maybe not every time is the right time. And being able to work with people that actually have your back and can say, yeah, you should sit this one out. But you know what? Next year, you're going to be a position for this, as opposed to how can I quickly take their money and not worry about how it impacts them down the line, right? Because our reputation is something we don't get back. And so if we're not an integrity, word gets out pretty quick, I think. Yeah, I agree. And as we talked about building wealth over time, same thing. Yeah, we got a great deal right now. We're going to have another great deal in three or four months too. And then we're going to have another great deal three or four months after that because the deals are out there. Right. We just have to sift through and find them. So this isn't the last deal we're ever going to have. It's out there. Okay, Kelly, we're at the Fast Five. And the Fast Five is brought to you by FAMZU, prepaid cards and a family finance app for kids, teens, and parents. If you want your child to learn money habits that match your values, click on the link in the show notes to learn more about FAMZU. All right. So Kelly, here we go, down and dirty. If you could change one thing about the real estate industry, what would it be? Oh my goodness. One thing about the real estate industry, I would remove all the misconceptions of all landlords are slumlords and all tenants destroy properties. (laughs) Because those are the two things that held me back. Those were what were in my mind before I started investing in real estate. Yeah. Important to screen the tenants. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I always say if there's any doubt, go with a no. Like if there's a single hesitation, trust your gut instead of, yeah, they seem nice. Yeah, trust your gut. No, not everybody's a fit. Absolutely. Name one thing that you would like to buy, but don't because you think it's a silly investment. Oh, man. Well, I would like to have a new car right now, but it's not the right time because until my investments can pay for it... I'm not gonna. I would like to have a Tesla, like one of the ones with the little wings that come up, the doors that come up on the sides. Like, I want one of those, but I'm not dropping. I don't know how much they are, 100,000 on it right now. It's me. That's silly. Now, maybe in five or 10 years, I'll have one. There'll probably be something new then. Exactly. And this isn't a fast five. How do you know when your investments are ready to let you buy something? So the way I think about it is my investment, the principal, the capital I put in the equity, that is the golden goose. That is like you preserve it at all costs. It's the dividends, the passive income. It's those things that 
this much smaller pieces that we get off of it, that's what covers our cost of living. And when we have enough of that coming in that it covers our cost of living and can then pay for those extras, that's when I feel more comfortable to be able to buy those type of purchases. Yeah, totally makes sense. What is one investment property you regret investing in, but not the one that you bought in 2004? (laughs) Gosh, oh man, no. I don't regret any of them. I mean, they all have their own pain and suffering, right? Like I have a six unit building my husband and I bought before we grew into syndications and we had it vacant for a year and we renovated all six units and a slumlord owned it before us. And apparently was the neighborhood drug house that we didn't really realize until then. But, you know, and I'm still dealing with some small things on it because we have a property manager, but I'm going through changing it. I don't regret it though, because it gave me the skills and more experience that then enabled me to step up my game and to help more people. That was something just my husband and I did. But because of that, it allowed me to grow into doing these much larger apartment complexes. And now I can help so many other people on their journey to becoming financially free as well. No, that's great. And you probably get a discount on drugs if you're in the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) I don't stick around that much for the discount on drugs. (laughs) Who was your financial hero growing up? Who's somebody that helped you with talking about money and making money an intentional thing? I'd say my mom and dad. I'm going to say them equally because I remember my mom sitting down at the dining room table balancing the checkbook. I remember conversations about dad was working overtime or he was working every weekend until summer to save up for our Christmas vacation to Florida. We had very intentional conversations about that and not taking debt and how they paid for the things that we had. So my parents are my money heroes. No, that's awesome. The world needs more heroes. (laughs) Let me ask you this. We're now at our sweet spot, M&M, money and motivation. Can you give us a practical tip or a piece of wealth wisdom, something that has served you personally in your journey with your relationship with money? I think a fundamental principle of what served me and my journey is growing the gap. And the gap that I'm talking about here is your gap between your income and your expenses. So it's really grow that gap between the two and then invest the gap. And the larger you can make that gap, the quicker you're going to achieve your financial goals. I'm so glad you mentioned the gap because I meant to bring that into the conversation and then I got sidetracked with other things. And I think it's such an important piece to actually think about that gap not the gap between the haves and the have-nots, but the gap between my expenses and my income, and let's make those expenses be less or let's increase the income so the gap gets bigger and we have more gap to invest and actually have the life we want to live. Absolutely. That's great. Where can people find you online and social media? You've got a 12-page financial freedom playbook that people can get for free, which we'll post. But tell us a little bit about where people can find you. Yeah, so I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if people want to connect with me on social media, LinkedIn would be the best platform for that. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, I do have a fantastic 12-page financial freedom playbook. It's your guide to successful apartment investing. And you can find that at my website. If you just go to www.investwithkelly.com, you can get a copy of that. Well, Kelly, I have just loved having you on the show. And I hope that the takeaway for a lot of our listeners is that they will all now go out and become homeowners or at least home investors so that they can actually get on the path to financial freedom like many of us want. And I so appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate, yeah, what you bring to the table and the fact that you do it with integrity. You've got your values and your goals set 
and you're making choices that keep you on that path of alignment. So thank you so much. Thanks, Bob, for having me. It's been great. Hey there, Money Master. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn some valuable insights around your relationship with money? Our guests shared some of their financial epiphanies. You might have experienced one too. Don't just sit there with that aha moment. Share it with us and the world by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Or leave a comment on one of our socials, at Money You Should Ask. Let's spread the word and help others explore their financial health too. But that's not all. Do you want to live in abundance and build wealth that can sustain you and your family for generations to come? It only takes one thing, the willingness to change the way you think about your money. It's time to test your money nerve and discover what's been holding you back from financial freedom. Take the free quiz now at themoneynerve.com and begin your journey towards a prosperous future. 